1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
0: Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 20. And today I'm joined by Charles Byram, a good buddy of mine. He's going to share his experience of moving from the West Coast to Iowa and how he had to adapt his hunting style to fit his new home state. He's also got a great Iowa buck story to tell too, so stay tuned. Alright, welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 20. And today we are joined by a good friend of mine, Charles Byram. Charles made a migration from the West Coast, uh, California specifically, to Iowa. He had a few things along the way that kind of prompted that move, and he'll share that part of his story during today's conversation. But uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing Charles' story. I had heard it previously um, in, in speaking with him and through a couple different formats. Um, You know, sometimes you life kind of throws you a curveball and then you kind of have to make do with it. And Charles did just that Um, and, you know, made the big move to to Iowa, which I, I have to admit that I'm a little bit envious of in terms of being out there in the land of the Giants, you know, being able to hunt as a resident every year um, but you know Charles had to overcome some obstacles uh, you know in, in not just adapting his hunting style of moving from the west coast to the Midwest but also just in some uh, physical limitations that he has you know which kind of prompted his prompted his move uh, so looking forward to diving into his story but before we do that I do want to make one kind of comment that we actually recorded this podcast previously in November it was just how happened that our schedules linked up or matched up with Charles that we were able to have him on and I kind of wanted to have a podcast uh, at some point during the off season if you will that was recorded during the season to kind of bring back some of that some of that feeling and I felt like this was a good time to do so as I've been kind of Longing for those days in a tree stand so much so that I actually took the uh, the new the new tree stand that I had just picked up um, out into the woods this past weekend and did a a, a climb with my lone wolf stand in uh, in sticks just to kind of make a maiden voyage and so while I was sitting in the stand I thought it might be a great time um, to release this podcast since this was recorded in November um, it's got you know hunting season kind of fresh all over it. Uh, so hoping everyone out there enjoys that and can kind of snap you back just maybe a few months ago and, and help you relive a couple of those uh, a couple of those moments. Also, during today's podcast, we're going to be announcing the winner of the Exodus Lift Trail Camera that we announced the giveaway of in podcast 19. So be sure to stay tuned during the duration of today's podcast because at some point we will announce that winner. Once we do, I will reach out via social media uh, to get in touch with the folks who have won and, uh, of course, get all the shipping information out be required to get the exodus lift trail camera out to you also we'll be uh giving away another exodus lift trail camera here in the not so distant future so be sure to stay tuned uh, into uh, all the upcoming podcasts because we'll be announcing uh, another exodus trail camera giveaway here in the next couple weeks so without further ado let's go ahead and dial charles in all right folks we are joined by a friend of mine charles byram and i'm pronouncing your last name right charles Yes, you are. All right, good. I hate I hate whenever I butcher people's last names to kind of feel like a heel when I do so. But we are joined by a friend of mine, Charles Byram. He is uh, residing in Iowa currently. Um, been looking forward to having him on for a while. We've been talking on Facebook and in the social media sphere and so on and so forth, trying to figure out a time to have him come on. Um, this just kind of so happened to work out to be that ideal time. So first and foremost, how are you doing, Charles? How's Iowa treating you? What's going on in the Midwest?
2: Oh, I'm doing great. Just uh, <clears throat> got the warmer weather here this year. Um, haven't had no snow snow yet, and it's just been real weird, um, unlike the last couple of years that I've been here.
0: Yeah, I hear you. We've had we've had a little bit of warm weather here on the uh, on the East Coast. Not I, I wouldn't go as far as to say as it was as, as bad as last year was. Uh, last year was pretty miserable all through. Uh, November well late October and really through all the way through the middle of uh, November but this year it seems to be be a, a, a little bit better than it has been in, in years past so before I we die I
3: gotta say though uh, I'm, I'm actually a little uh, angry because I did get a new jacket a new coat to wear and uh, it's been too warm to wear it I will sweat in a stand with it it needs to get colder well
0: Phil I'm, I'm I feel sorry for your jacket loss
3: <laughs> well, it's just, it's just, it's just in the closet. <laughs> Whatever, Clint. I gotta yeah. be angry about something. <laughs> yeah, <I know>, right? all <laughs> right, all right. It
0: just doesn't feel right if you don't go throughout a day without something to be a little bit jaded about. There you go. Um, but I, we have a lot of stuff to cover because I think Charles. You know, I know you and I know each other just a little bit from you know kind of creating a relationship online. Sounds like we've met each other on Match.com but I swear, to everyone out there listening, we didn't. We actually met each other through. through, through <laughs> really E Harmony. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um you know, I know a little I know a little bit about your background and, and, and so forth, you know, but before we dive into, you know, your your transition from west to east, and I am I'm, I'm kind of foreshadowing just a little bit there, um why don't you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from, you know, what you do for a living and uh and things of that nature.
2: Alrighty. Um I was born in uh, and raised in San Diego, California. Um lived there all my life until about three years ago. Uh, Working in construction mostly. Uh, during the... Anytime there was a slow time uh, with the construction, I would maybe take off. I, did it. I drove a commercial trucks for a summer, um, worked down on fishing boats for summers down in Mexico, um, and played around a little bit with uh, helping out uh, training dogs and, you know, hunting dogs, and did a little... Uh, guiding helping guide for pheasant uh, and stuff like that but mostly construction
0: nice yeah it's funny uh it, it, doing this podcast i you know i find as we meet new people i always uh i always tend to have something slightly in common with them so it's interesting that you that you used to train dogs because i used to train dogs for a brief period of time in my youth it was my late teens and early twenties i worked with a um uh, a breeder who um, bred uh, Champion, Bloodline, Rottweilers, Phillip Resolaros, and Doberman Pinchers and started doing obedience training and actually helped one of the uh, fellows who I worked with uh, who was kind of teaching me. He trained uh, attack dogs for the Philadelphia Police Force. And uh, before I left uh, that job, I uh, I got to help train one attack dog. Of course I was the one in the dummy suit getting bit. So there's nothing more frightening <laughs> <Nice>. than, <laughs> There's nothing more frightening than 140 pound, 45 pounds of, of ticked off uh, Rottweiler screaming up your rear end as you're trying to run away from it even if you're in a bite suit it's still frightening. I oh Wow. That'd
2: be crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I came out with all my fingers. Um, it's, it's not a lot of fun. And I was shortly thereafter was my, my last day. So <laughs> that's it. I'm done. Yeah.
2: yeah. So I quit. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh,
0: yeah, I, I didn't turn around and look back when I left. I was like, yep. had that experience. I'm good to go. Attack, well, I was also attacked by a dog when I was like, when I was a kid legitimately. So people always thought it was odd that I worked with dogs and didn't have some type of healthy fear of them. Um yeah, but uh I don't know why I wasn't necessarily scared of them, but uh that after after that bite training session I I had my fill I think was uh was all I all I needed. But uh I know at the top here I had mentioned I knew that Charles and I had had met and we've been, you know, having conversations and dialogue for I don't know, Charles, what, probably the better part of a year now if if not a year, I'd imagine. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and uh in truth be told it was when i first started the blog before there was even a, a truth from the stand podcast um you know i was of course on social media and uh it, i don't know if you even remember this but it's it's i remember this because it was one of those things where i started the blog and you were one of the first people to reach out to me on facebook and actually asking me a question and it was about a food plot question i don't know if you remember this or not but, yeah i do yeah you, know, you were asking me about what you should plant you know and you were telling me that you were in in iowa and asked me what I would, you know, give you as a recommendation. And I had been doing some food plotting on our farm and kind of had a couple thoughts and had obviously done a lot of research. And I just remember I went through and I read a ton of stuff and I probably wrote you like the longest diatribe known to man about food plots and all the options you would have. Because I was like, here's this guy, like he asked me my first question, like from my, my blog as a, as a blogger. And I was like, I have to make sure I give him all the right information. And I went completely over the top and probably wrote you like a dissertation. About so the food you, basically,
3: you basically dumped it out, yeah. You dumped it all out,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was interesting because right from then, from that point forward, um, you know, Charles and I kind of struck up a relationship, you know, o- online and really have been going back and forth ever since. And it was awesome that I got to learn a little bit about his story. He was actually on another another podcast which is you know because right after that I think we continued to talk and you had mentioned you were going to be on on a podcast kind of talking about hunting and I heard a little bit about your story and it was one of those things where it was really compelling to me and you know and the passion that you have for the outdoors and, and deer hunting specifically it made me just kind of take pause and just kind of take stock and how fortunate we are to do the things that we do when we go into the outdoors and, and, and deer hunt. And I was just all along, I thought, man, you know, whenever there's time or when we, when schedules kind of match up and we can make it happen, I was like, I'd love to have him on just to kind of share that similar story with our audience. Because I think it's uh, it's one of those things where the old adage of like, you know, you have to work for it. And I think Charles, you kind of, em- you embody that. So without, continuing to to ramble on here just give us a little bit of background about how you got into hunting and what it was like hunting in in california but before we hear about charles's background let's take a quick break for a whitetail institute of north america food plot tip of the week one of the questions i had when i first started planning food plots was just how much land should i devote to food plots Today, John Cooner of Whitetail Institute of North America shares a general rule of thumb when considering how much land to dedicate to food plots on your property.
1: Uh, Let me just say this to start out with. Even when we do a big property, work on a big property, and put all our resources to bear, we tell folks, we're going to draw up the best plan for you that we can. And I can almost guarantee you that after you see how the deer react to it, you're going to want to tweak it. Uh, So... Uh, most folks, you know, we, you start with a rule of thumb and then modify it, uh, you know, as you need to. Most part, folks will start out with say two to five percent of their property and plot. Some folks go as high as 10 percent. Uh, but you know, two to five percent, uh, if you don't have enough, uh, enough land to do that, uh, then just plant what you have.
0: And that, folks, is a Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. If you'd like to learn more about Whitetail Institute and their products, visit them at whitetailinstitute.com. And now back to the show.
2: Well, I got into hanging at a really young age. My I have pictures of my dad taking me out like way before he ever should have um, out duck hunting a little baby in a bassinet out in the duck pine and stuff, so um, that's. You know, most, it was my dad, basically, that got me into hunting. We were mostly waterfowlers when I was young, but I think uh, California... I couldn't go deer hunting until I was 12, and so by the time I was 10, I was just always telling my dad, i want to go deer hunting. He wasn't that into it, <clears throat> but he was more than happy to, you know, he wanted to take his kid out hunting and stuff. So um, my uncle... My dad's brother was, when I was younger, was a um, hunting guide out in Colorado for a big game for deer and elk and stuff, and he actually passed away in an airplane crash. While doing that, he was out scouting for um, deer and elk through the mountains and hit one of those uh, electric wires or telephone wires that go across the canyons out there. Oh, wow. But So somehow my dad just figured that I kind of had that blood in me where, like my uncle, I always, you know, was drawn to the big game. You know, I, of course, loved duck hunting and stuff, but as soon as I could talk him into it, he took me out deer hunting, and I think by his second year, I had taken my first deer. My dad went his whole life without ever taking one, but um, I I did pretty good considering that... um, most people in California have a real, real low success rate, right. especially in San Diego. There's, you know, there's some good areas of hunting up in Northern California, but in San Diego, it's pretty slim thick, and it's all, you have to be really lucky to get on any private land down there, and most people don't allow hunters to go on their private land down there, and um, it isn't like here at at all where you can go out and ask a farmer. You can ask 10 farmers and probably get permission on at least three. You know, you might have to share, um, you know, the land with other hunters here in Iowa. But So it's kind of tough getting any permission in uh, Southern California. So you basically have to get in um, early to the state land, and I would hike a good... Hour and a half, two hours in the dark before, so just so I could get as far as way from the road as I could, far away from anyone else before I would even start thinking about hunting. And I, I was pretty successful.
0: Right. So out there, is it? Is it? Are you are you stand hunting, or is it? You know, because I when I think of West, and you know, California may be different. I'm not sure. I've never hunted California, but when I think of West, I think of more stock and sp- or. Sp- Spot and stock style hunting, is is it that? or Yeah,
2: is exactly. It... Exactly. It's almost a, it's almost kind of like the same terrain, really, as if you were going to go to Colorado, just not quite as high up. Right. You know, same, like if anyone out there hasn't been um, hunting in the West, if you watch any of the hunting shows and you see the spot and stock type hunting, that's what it is.
0: Right, and I'm sure your attire for those types of hunts had to be entirely different too, because I'm sure you're you're hunting to a degree in some relatively warmer temperatures.
2: Oh yeah, nothing like here, that's for sure. Yeah, it was just a pair of a. I always tried to, you know, back then there wasn't we didn't have the amount of camo that there is now, so I always just tried to wear like a gray pair of pants and, you know, usually some sort of military type uh um, camouflage and just try to match the terrain if that's you could and um, but no no jack you know no heavy jackets or anything just always take a lot of water backpack with you and that was the main thing that you had to take was uh, binoculars and water and Right. So were, were you in <laughs> <laughs> a good pair of hiking boots?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Were you, Were you? now were you bow hunting out there or were you, were you gun hunting or is, is gun hunting all, not all that popular out there?
2: Um, it was all through being a teenager, it was all rifle hunting. Um, and I didn't get into bow hunting until I was in, well, I was probably about 20 and I did that for a couple of years. And, uh, it's, it's just really tough. I, that was, of course, 20 years ago. So the bows weren't as good then right. as they are now. And I, I didn't, I didn't have no one to go to that asked about bows or anything out there. So of course, I being young, I was trying to shoot w- w- way too much poundage than I should have been, Right. you know, and the bows back then didn't have the lead off that they do now. So you pull back it. <laughs> 80-pound bow, and you're
3: sitting there holding, you know, 70 pounds of it. <laughs> might, might as well just use a recurve. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Right. And uh, I, I missed so many deer, but it did make me a, a better hunter. I never got one. I I uh, shot at a bunch of them, and they would duck out of the way and jump out of the way because they would all see you and know you're there before you ever drew back on them, so they were ready to take off. But it did make me a better hunter. And after that, after a couple of years of that, I went back to the rifle for a little bit, and uh, would, it just it got real easy. It seemed too easy, really, once I did that. I would get close to the deer in no time at all and be tagged out and back to duck hunting.
0: Right. So so let's talk a little about a guy that lives in in california moves to iowa so what some people might say that's that's crazy um <laughs> you know you have that sand- or or
3: it's a or it's a great white tail move <laughs> right yeah yeah, exactly. yeah it's
2: a great white tail move, that's for sure um my wife, her family is from Iowa, so we came back about, oh, the first time I came back here was probably in 2002, I think my daughter, yeah, my daughter was two years old, and we came back back here, and came back during the summer, and it wasn't too hot out or anything, beautiful weather, and so I started falling in love with it then, and uh, so it was always in my back of my mind to, you know, hey, I would like to maybe move out here someday. And then about five years, no, let's see. I think it was four years ago I got operated on on my foot. I started getting plantar fasciitis in my foot Mm -hmm. probably like maybe 10 years ago. And um, that really slowed down my deer hunting too, because like I told you, I had to walk so far back to get away from people that it, it started making it painful, and so I slowed down a lot on the deer hunting. And always wanted to get back into it, but anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, so about four years ago, I uh, had an operation done to have that pancreatic I just tumor or whatever it is removed out of. I had it on both feet, and I had it removed on my left foot, and long story to make it a little shorter, um, the operation went bad, tendon got cut, and made my foot worse, and it basically made me disabled for the rest of my life. Oh. So, um, shortly after that, my my dad passed away, and I just really started looking into, well, I need to go somewhere where I can get away from California and where I can live on a, now on a real tight budget, you know, on a disability budget and um, where I can, uh, where I won't have to travel so far to go hunting because being in San Diego, my desert property um, was two and a half hours away. Gas over there like 7 $8 a gallon. I don't know what it is now.
3: Yeah. And,
2: uh, yeah, crazy. And, um, so we decided to, well, I decided <laughs> I had to bring the wife and kids screaming <laughs> and drag them back here. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Talked them into coming back and, uh, you know, basically I can walk out my door and drive for five minutes and I'm funny year if i to, you
0: know right and, and i imagine so. making that move too was um made it a little easier in terms of the type of in the, the style of hunting that you would be doing from the you know the west or california where you're doing spot and stock for the most part and as you'd mentioned doing a lot of hiking to get to where you're going to now you're really kind yeah. of probably walking to a tree and climbing into a tree stand or walking to a blind and climbing into a blind and sitting versus walking
2: <laughs> <clears throat> exactly. That's exactly. Uh, that part made it nice. It, it, it's still hard on me to do that, though. I mean, because I grew up just hiking and, you know, doing this uh, stalking and everything, the spot and stalking. And every time I walk through the blind, if it's light out, I, you know, I can't help myself but stop and laugh and, you know, look around and stuff. But, right. So... And then just getting in there and sitting still, and it, it's still kind of tough. It, the blood in me, I guess, just wants to get out and hike around. My foot won't let me though. So, um, in here you you see so many more deer than you do in California. I mean, I see more deer and on my way to the grocery store than I might see in a whole season in California. Well,
0: perfect case. So. In, perfect case in point was last night you and I were texting. And you had to you had right. to run, you had to run an errand you had to run an errand real quick, and you're driving down the road and I get a text from you just saw a buck chasing a doe, <laughs> and I was like my I think my uh, response to you was just Iowa, <laughs> yeah yeah and, and yeah your, exactly and and your response back was they're like roaches out here, <laughs>
2: <laughs> totally it's crazy that was a nice buck too was it really he was huge yeah
0: nice yeah he
2: was a big old Looks like a, a five by four of nine pointer, I think, My, maybe more. He was nice. They all look so huge out here, though. When I first came here, uh, I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy crap, these things are huge.
3: Well, yeah. We so got I mean, those
2: little desert, desert mules that only about a, I don't know, soaking wet. The biggest one I think I ever got was maybe 150 pounds. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a huge difference. The smallest doe I got here was bigger than that. So, right. So,
0: so not just the 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 difference in spot and stock versus you know uh, stand or, or blind hunting. You know, f- from your perspective, what were some of the things that you had to get used to as far as your overall approach to hunting, moving from California? to Iowa of course you know the the deer are bigger and I'm sure the rack sizes are larger and and so on and so forth but just like tactically when you would go into the woods like how how did you have to change your how did your mindset have to change to get used to adjusting to to the different hunting style
2: well uh, luckily I have a cousin out here Eric that um he kind of took me under his wing and explained a lot of the hunting to me um 'Cause you know, even though if you're sitting over in California you're watching those sunning shows and you see all this um deer urine and calling and all that rattling and none of that really. I, I don't know anyone over there that would use any of that. Um so all of that was to me it all looked like a bunch of this advertising. Um <laughs> getting people to buy stuff that they don't really need, you right. know? So he explained, after getting some of that explained more to me and, you know, getting online, getting on Facebook, um, talking to people like you, um, and just trying to soak up as much information as I could. I started learning how to use that. I had no idea what scrapes were or what rubs were. I did, what I thought all the rub was, or a scrape, uh, yeah, what I thought was like a rub or a scrape was, was just a deer trying to get the velvet off the antlers during the summer or something, you know. That's the way my thinking was. I didn't know they were marking territories or anything like that. So trying to piece all that together was a, was the biggest challenge for me. Well, wow, So that,
0: that's a pretty big adjustment. I mean, you're not talking just in terms of like your approach to hunting. You're talking even just like in terms of the deer behavior, what you're saying is, was kind of different out there a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Cause you know, there's no, the deer out in California are just like the same, the muleys in Colorado or Utah are, Arizona or wherever they roam around. They don't, they're not like the whitetail that has one, two mile radius. You know, they, they could be one place one day and they could be four miles away the next. So, um, that's why I hike so far back and get back there and just, you get into more open country and start glassing a mile away. And, um, hopefully find a deer and then head towards it. But here, um, you know, you're not seeing any distance at all. And your best bet is not to hike around. You're just going to move deer. You might, you know, get lucky and bump into one or, well, you will bump into them, but that's what's going to happen is you're going to bump into them and you're going to move them off. So your best bet is to, you know, get into a blind or get into your stand and, uh, get quiet and wait them out and try to learn. I'm still learning like the calls and rattling stuff. So I, I don't know if it ever works for me or not. Um, yeah. I was always, skeptical. I I, see.
0: I was always skeptical of that too. Cause here in Pennsylvania, even it's like, I've had, I've had limited success with it here in PA. And I know just from, you know, the folks, the guys that I hunt with who have been hunting, you know, PA, you know, a lot longer than I have, um, have had limited to, to no success with calling. Like every now and then you'll get a grunt to work, but rattling around here in Pennsylvania, just with the amount of pressure, it's like, it's the, I put it this way. The sex ratios just aren't lined up to where rattling is really going to work because just you're going to put it in analogy that, you know, maybe humans will better understand. It's like if you're out to a bar or a coffee shop looking to pick up a, a girlfriend for the evening and, she's you know you're talking to her and there's an there's another guy there and he's like hey this is my girlfriend and he's like well i'll fight you for her. it's like well if there's 20 other you know women that are suitable to your um what you're looking for do you really want to try to take a take a rear end chap in for that one or are you just happy to move on and find another one
2: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's the same thing the uh, same way i think you know why is it- is the chick going to stand around for the guys that are sitting there kicking the shit out of each other? Or is she going to take off with a guy that's <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> like, Hey, hey while well, they're fighting, let's go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like,
0: they can, yeah. they can go, they can go, uh, they can complete their breeding cycle without having to get in, having to get into a fight. Cause there's plenty of them to go, go around here. Um, now, you know, yeah. my experience in Ohio when I was just recently out there was, was much different than that, where it's like, I could definitely tell, that the ratios were much more in, 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 in alignment because, um, grunt calls were working, uh, to, to the extreme while I was out there and they were coming in looking for a fight, you know, and I had two of them actually square off. Like they were going to throw down one was much younger and smaller. So he of course thought better and, and took off, but you know, it was just one of those things where it's like when the ratios are right, like they are in Iowa, you know, that you guys have much better ratios out there to where it's, that stuff works a little better, you know what I mean. And it's amazing what it can do whenever you have those things all kind of uh, all kind of balanced out. But
2: yeah, and I still, like I said, I, I, you know, for, for all I know, I'm not doing it right. I, I just haven't had a lot of success with it. Um, I, I, I watch the deer. I see them look towards me, and I've had them like pop up and everything. But it seems to me it seems like um, it's mostly younger deer that get interested in it for some reason, right. like a two know, and three year
0: old. Yeah. And in the, in the but, uh, it's almost have to like, you know, at least in, in, again, I'll say this rattling. I haven't ever had success doing it yet. You know, I'll, I'll say yet. Yeah, Cause it's not like as though I'll stop trying. I really don't do it. In yeah. I, I would try it somewhere like Ohio. Um, you know, especially if I was maybe hunting some, some private ground, but what it seems to me is like, you just almost have to find the right deer. You know what I mean? It's like, you got to kind of watch him and you got to see like how he's posturing his body language. Like, is he telling you that he's just kind of looking the mosey through and not really looking for any of your action? Or does he come in head back? Just like he's king of the jungle you know, that looks like he might be a little bit aggressive or looking for, as, as we would say in the, whenever I was in my rock and roll band days, you, you know, have a couple beverages after a show and maybe you're looking, looking for a little tussle for a good time, a little extracurricular that day. Um, you <laughs> know, right, is, is, right. he, is he looking for something like that? You know um, at least that's what I've heard, you know, is just kind of reading, reading that body language being able to tell, you know, I've, I've read stuff from guys like Steve Bartilla and stuff like that, who, have talked a fair amount about that and reading, you know, deer language, deer body language to kind of tell what's, what's right and what's going to work for them. But so uh, you mentioned a couple of things and I know you're just mentioning calling. And so that leads me to, you know, this next question. So for me, it's like when I'm thinking about you making this move, you know, from California to Iowa, you know, and talking about the things that, you know, that were different just in the deer behavior and the approach to hunting and, and all of those things, how long would you say it took, before you felt comfortable hunting in the, in your new surroundings or, or how long was that learning curve for you to kind of feel like, okay, I can go out and hunt in Iowa now and and now know what I'm feel like I know what I'm doing and feel like I know that I can go out and if I put the pieces together appropriately, I can have
3: success.
2: Well, this is my third season and I'm just now starting to feel like that. Okay. Um, You know, like I told you earlier, you know, i basically hunted all my life, so I didn't have no problem with going and hunting, but where I'm trying to feel comfortable, at least in my mind, thinking that I have a little bit of an idea of what's going on in the whitetail world. Um, It's just this season, I think, that everything's really trying to piece together for me. You know, so, and that's spending a lot of hours, too. Like, I'm disabled, so you know, the average... Guy going hunting, like maybe like yourself. I mean, you get you have to work, and you know you could get, get your weekends. Maybe you can slip away after work uh, once or twice a week. I'm out here every day, you know. And if I'm not actually in the stand, I let's put it this way: I change my oil every three weeks because that's how much I drive. Just Constantly driving around, <laughs> glass and looking, yeah. <laughs> so oh hey, that's I, just I, what I do. So I, I I know
0: that man because I see your I see your Facebook feed and it it, it oftentimes while I'm at work it it, it makes
2: me jealous. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet. Makes a lot of people jealous. Now trust me, people out there, you do not want to become disabled. <laughs> you do not want to have my sleep pattern. <laughs> right. Right. Um, it, it, that part sucks. i do miss work I like to work in um but I love obviously honey more but um uh <laughs> you don't want to become disabled to, in order to do this <laughs> right
0: right good uh, i good. do
2: spend a lot of time out here
0: <laughs> right that's a that's a very uh that's a very good good point to make there's uh, there's other ways to uh to to make that to make that happen if uh that might be more conducive but um, yeah, go
2: work your ass off and then retire early and then do it. <laughs> right, there
0: you go. That's that's probably a better plan. Um, so, yeah. with with that move, so this year you're finally getting getting comfortable. And I know that you took a, um, a a pretty nice deer this year, and I and I definitely want to get into to that story here as, as we go. But you're moving out there, and you don't really have you know, land per se, you know what I mean? So one thing I wanted to ask you is a guy going to a new area, you know, like how did you go about getting access to hunting land? And were the locals accommodating to you, you know, being new to the area? Did you meet some resistance or how did that play out?
2: Well, when I first got here, I was thinking, um, well, some of my wife's family was telling me that that, I was going to have a hard time being from California. They weren't going along and a living time huh? and stuff. And I actually just used being from California to my advantage. i go up there wearing, you know, like a a speechy fishing shirt and stuff. And But, you know, I, I'll admit right from the get-go, right before I start this conversation, it does help getting permission being disabled. So walking up there and limping... On my cane and uh, get the sympathy card going. So,
0: not that we're advocating yes, that anyone anyone bit. trump up a uh, a, a don't imaginary... try it, but
3: <laughs> right. You're right. <laughs> just want to want to make sure so that. I, so I can't use a cane anymore. Right. Yeah. Wait a second. It. Come yeah. on. You guys are blowing up my spot. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna blow up your spot here, man. I'm gonna blow up your
2: spot. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, but I would go up there and I would just use you know my experience to my advantage go and I, I didn't like to go right up to someone's house and knock on the door um, i try to catch them out in the field or something like that and go up and talk to them strike up a conversation and you know hopefully get them talking to, get them asking me questions and that you know asking me questions about California about fishing or whatever um, and I say fishing because you know they don't have deep sea fish in here so Right. That seemed to help a little bit, and then later on, I learned how to. um, I learned that you know if they don't want to let you go deer hunting on their property, well, they might let you go coyote hunting or trapping. I um, met a friend of mine, Tanner, out here that uh, he's a young guy and he's into trapping, and that kind of seemed to help too. Is if you can get your foot in the door somehow with trapping or coyote hunting, um, you, you can once you get that ice broken and you know they see that you're not messing with their land and that you're being respectful, then you can later, you know, ask for permission to deer hunt.
0: Right. That's one of the things.
2: So that's I, how I went about.
0: Nice. That's that's one of the things that I've read. You know, consistently that people have said if you're looking for you know, areas to hunt and land to hunt. Like one of the best ways to go about it is really to try to find another avenue in, whether it's like, hey, do you mind if I shed hunt this winter on your property or, you know, early winter or late, or sorry, late sp- winter, or early spring, you know, or, you know, do you mind if I do some turkey hunting? there? to your point, you know, what farmer wouldn't want you to come in and maybe do a little bit of predator control for them in the off season? You know, it's a nice way to build build a relationship there. Um, what would you say your success rate is for every, you know, 10, 10, landowners you ask for permission how how often are you getting access
2: two to three you know uh, probably you know getting three out of ten would be a good good success rate.
0: nice and is that is that all pretty close to
2: you know I, i i keep track of everyone that i talk to too and um you know there was one um person that I talked to here, one farmer that I talked to here, when I very first got, when I very first moved out here, probably within two weeks of me living here, I talked to him and I didn't get permission from him until this season to hunt the property. I just um, kept bumping into him, saying hi and stuff and, you know, so don't ever, just because someone tells you no, don't give up on it. You know, but don't pester them either.
0: Right. Um, so, so when you get the access to these farms, are you or these pieces of land? Are you then putting out trail cameras and doing all your all your normal all your normal stuff to where you would you know folks would typically do? Do you have the the ability to do that?
3: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's nice. And that's are you,
2: what are, I do. <laughs> is I get trail cameras. I get mineral sites going. Um I I was thinking about putting in food plots. Um, I'm glad I didn't put in food plots. One thing I'm going to get away from um, next year is I'm not going to post um, my deer on public social media. Um, it did mess up my deer. It, both times I got deer, it messed up um, my deer hunts for the next season. I got a deer um, the first season. I got a buck, I should say, the first season that I was out that I bow hunted out here. I didn't get one last season, but then I got buck this season, and both times I got bucked and posted it on social media, Um, people find out that a buck is taken, and even though it might not be on the property that I got it on, all of a sudden, um, their family and friends want to hunt that property.
0: Right. So if
2: they know that I'm hunting hunting that property, even if it isn't the property that I shot it on, all of a sudden right now um, three of the properties that I have permission on and no one was hunting them, now um, three of them are going to be loaded this gun season with hunters.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I hear you with that because I know even when I was out in – out in Ohio on that on that public land hunt. As soon as I brought that deer back that I caught, everyone wanted to know where I was hunting, and all I would say was by the river.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: that was my my uh, my stock answer. Oh, by the river. Yeah, there's a lot of rivers. Yeah, exactly. There. And there's it, that river's really yeah. long too. So, <laughs> good luck.
2: <laughs> well, like <laughs> I said, you know that I'm not. Even, I didn't even tell people what property I got it on, but they're just assuming because they've seen me that I'm on that property, even though a couple of them I wasn't on there. And oh, yeah. now, you know, and they have more of a right to it than I do. They're, you know, they lived here longer and they are, some of them are family members and stuff. So, you know, right, there ain't yeah. nothing I can say
0: about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't begrudge but, anyone trying to go find a, a good, a good place to hunt. It's the, you know, but I'm, you know, of course not going to give up my, my spot that I've worked for, you know, whether it's working to get exactly. access or, or doing the, putting in time into scouting. I definitely had a, a, uh, it definitely had a lot of folks wanting to know where, where I was at. And I mean, that goes without saying it's at, it's anywhere. Even when I'm back home hunting on our farm, if, if you, if you have nice deer and these people see some pictures, they immediately want to know where it's at. And then they're interested to come down to, to hunt with you and, and so on and so forth. But I think you're smart by not oh, putting yeah. anything out on, on social media. I think it'll probably just save you a lot of headache in the, uh, in the long term. but Hey, uh, you can of course text me any of those pictures.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, totally well, that's what I'm gonna do is, you know I'll text like you guys and stuff, I'll text my friends and stuff and um, but people that not are like close by. right. <laughs>
0: So let me ask you this question. So so you've gone through all this, right? You've done uh, obviously a lot of work, right, to get access and stuff like that because that stuff's not easy, man. It's 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 a challenge to go out to get people who own a piece of land to give someone that they don't know the ability to come on and carry a weapon and and harvest animals off of it, right? So it's there's a lot of legwork that's that goes into that, but what do you think the most important thing is that you've learned over the past what did you say you've been there three seasons now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the most important thing, most important thing or the two or three most important things that you've learned over the past three seasons hunting in Iowa?
1: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
2: (sighs) Wow. That's a good one. Um, I think the most important thing is not to kill your hunting area during the hunting season. Right. Um, I think talking to you during the summer and stuff, I was trying out something different. I was going in and um, going in and do, uh, refilling and replenishing my mineral stations every week instead of, I know a lot of people only do it like once a month. Check their cameras once a month, stay out of there. And I had no problem um, uh, with having deer come back all the time during the summer. Um, but come hunting season, that changed real quick. And luckily, I didn't do it to every property. The properties that I did go in and tried to spend any amount of time um, hunting, over hunting it. Um, The deer catch on. They know it's hunting season. They don't care. From my experience right now, I don't think they care during the summer if you're going out and you're dumping minerals and you're checking cameras. I think there's enough farm work and stuff going on. They don't really care about it. Well, there's a lot of farm work going on during hunting season, too. The harvest is there. Somehow they know. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think it's a combination of...
0: Right. I think it's just a combination of once you get into that season, it's there's the, I think there's a, a larger amount of human intrusion, right? Because when you're checking your mineral sites and stuff over the summer, there might be some farm work going on, but by and large, that's heavy equipment that's moving. When you get into that hunting season, you're checking your mineral stations. That's just, additional human intrusion right that's going through the woods because even though you're only going in maybe once a week or whatever the case might be it's like who knows who else was walking nearby there or that that same yeah. deer may have had an encounter on a neighboring property with someone who was hunting you know
2: right exactly right yeah yeah now i didn't even think of that that's be very well that you know they're getting hit by hunting by other properties around and stuff too so right so, uh, so I think the number one thing is don't overhunt your areas. Right. Um, the number two thing would be, uh, well, and these are kind of go together. And this goes for any kind of hunting that you do. <laughs> Just because a place looks like it should be good doesn't mean it is. Hunt where the animals are. I, like waterfowl and stuff, I always see people say, oh, that looks like a great area. Well, if there ain't no ducks there. There's, you ain't going to get nothing. Right. Same with the deer hunting. If there ain't no deer there, you, it can look beautiful to you. It can look picturesque, but the deer ain't there, and there's, they're not there for a reason. You know, maybe it's because other hunters think it look, looks beautiful or something, and they're in there too or whatever. Right. You got to go to where the deer are. And then, just like I was telling you, I'd hike back in the mountains for, you know, miles before I started hunting I was going to where the deer were and I think that goes any kind of hunting
0: right and so what would your number three be don't don't share pictures on social media
2: don't share pictures on social media. That's a great one. Maybe that should be number one. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: I was thinking that whenever you started with number one. I was like, I wonder if he's going to lead off with the social media one we just talked about.
2: But Yeah, so, I forget about that. Right? It's okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard, too, because everyone wants to brag about, you know, you want to show your pictures. You want to share with people. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I know. It can bite you in the ass.
0: Yeah, it totally can. And it's funny. I mean, Phil and I talked about this one at one point, you know, and not to bring up this topic necessarily again, but we talked about, you know, the the Under Armour stuff that h- happened months ago and we won't necessarily cover that topic now again, but it was more of just having the conversation about, you know, social media's role in um, the outdoor industry and whether it's good or bad for it, you know, and just all the different things that spin off of that, you know, from, you know, the type of messaging you're putting out to how people are perceiving that, that message and making sure you put on the right filter whenever you put out those messages. So you're not offending those who are not favorable to hunting, you know, and we shouldn't have to do that necessarily, but it's one of those necessary evils if we want to keep people um, who are at least marginally accepting of, of hunting um, in, and you know, fighting for the good guy side, so to speak. But that might be a topic right. for a completely different, uh, conversation, but uh, you just you know mentioning social media. I thought I would just make a, a quick mention of that. But so I think oh, yeah, that's, we that's could actually... go on
2: for hours on that. Oh my, wow. I know, I know. Thunders uh, are the worst <laughs> yeah, when it comes to <laughs> social media. But everyone thinks their way is the right way, and
3: exactly. Well,
2: we like I said, we could go on for hours on that one. <laughs> I would have
0: to probably go downstairs and get another beer if we were going to do that.
2: Right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's actually that's actually a really good point. I mean, I think. I think social media is um, an ongoing conversation. I mean, yeah, we could definitely have a really in-depth talk in the near future, but, I mean, it's it's evolving and changing so much and so drastically lately that I just feel like that's just something that can perpetuate and it's just something that's always going to be a point of reference or a topic, you know, for at least the foreseeable future.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good in a way. I mean, I learned a lot. I mean, a lot of my... Learning curve for out here was through social media, talking, to, like plan and stuff, and you know that's how I learned a lot of what I know now. But um, you, it, but it's also kind of new to a lot of us. Um, the whole social media, it's new to me, anyways. You know, I've only been on there for three or four years, really, just coming out here, and so learning just how. Little things can explode on it, and um, just how people can attack on there at a drop of a hat. That you know, you gotta be careful. And yeah, I think it's um,
0: like I think it's just like anything else. I think you have to. You you just kind of have to. I I have a firm policy of if if I wouldn't tell my grandmother what I'm going to post, then I shouldn't post it. You know, or yeah. Or if I even have a thought that it could be, um, misconstrued and I couldn't effectively defend what I was putting out, then I don't put it out. That's kind of my, my litmus right. test. The other one is too, is I have an eight year old daughter. So it's like, if it's something that I wouldn't put in front of her, then I shouldn't put it out, you know, because a lot of folks, you know, that's their, their reaction, you know, emotional reaction is, is almost, you know, similar to, How kids react to things, you know, whenever they hear new, bad or unfavorable news or something they don't agree with. Um, So I kind of use that as as my filter. But I know we're getting off topic here because I really want to get to this story here. Um, So I, I know that we were just talking about the important things that you've learned in social media and what we're sharing is one of them. But, you know, for being in Iowa for three years, you know, you know, you, and you said this year was the first year that you really started to feel comfortable in the deer woods where you felt like you had a good handle on your approach and your tactics and and how to really kind of uh, plan for success, you know, if if you will. So with that, it seems like this year you really started kind of putting all the things together, you know, and in, in, in three years isn't a large amount of time to put things together in, in an effective way either. And, you know, and I know you took, um, you know, a pretty nice buck this year. Um, you know, so I wanted to hear about that story and how that all kind of came, came about, you know, it's give me all the details from, you know, your summer scouting, you know, how you, you know, what, why or how you decided to select the property that you, that you harvested that buck on all the way through the, through the, uh, the release of
2: the arrow. Well, it started last season, last season, but somehow I ended up getting all my stands of blinds set up for, um, just two wind patterns and I can't remember exactly what they were, but so I could only go in and hunt those blinds and stands on, I think maybe it was on west or southwest winds or something. So that, this, uh, summer I concentrated on trying to get on any property that I have permission on or whatever I try to set up my situation where I can wake up in the morning and be or in the afternoon and be able to go to any go somewhere and hunt that day be, no matter what the wind was that was my main my main goal during the summer right along with uh, uh, you know obviously taking data with the shell cameras and putting out tons and tons of, uh, minerals. Um, so that's how, like I said, it started last year. Um, opening day of last season, also on my disability hunt, which is in September, I, uh, passed up a nice buck. I figured him to be about three years old. And so the reason why I bring that up is that's the same buck I took this year.
1: Oh, nice. Um,
2: well, it was the buck I passed last. And once... Um, you know, there wasn't... I don't have, like, a great story with them, really. I mean, it, I picked the right wind and um, went to the stand I had set up for the wind, and one that I felt was getting... had been getting good action with the trail cameras, and I got up in the stand. Um, short time later he came walking in and I recognized him right away as that buck that I passed up last season. And I sat there and watched him probably, I don't know, for a good five minutes. Um, He was just kind of cruising back and forth right below me, maybe 20 yards away, but I was pretty high up in the tree. Um, The tree was probably like, my stand was probably about I don't know fifteen feet off the ground, but it was overlooking a bluff, and he was down the bluff, so it makes it makes you feel like you're about sixty feet up off the ground, really,
1: right
2: and um you know I watched him, and I wasn't sure if I was think if I wanted to take him or not if I wanted to hold out, but more I looked at him, I started thinking, you know what, I think he lost a little bit from last season. And I figured, well, I'm going to go ahead and take him. And I stuck him and he took off and I thought I heard him crash about 70 yards away. And then I saw him run kind of out away from the bluffs and, um, towards the corn. And I thought he went into a cornfield and I was like, all right, so I'm going to sit here and, um, you know, wait an hour or hour and a half, wait until dark anyways before I go look for them. And in the meantime, I had a couple of does walked underneath me. And even though I had a doe tag in my pocket, I'd, they weren't nothing that I was looking for. I only wanted to shoot, shoot a mature one. And I climbed down. Finally, it got dark. I climbed down and went to where, you know, I, when I stuck on my the arrow stayed in them. I didn't get a pass through, but it stuck down good. It was a perfect where I planned on hitting them. It was perfect placement on my part. Luckily, this like probably the first time I could say that. <laughs> but I wish I could say that. It was always like that. But no, it was great placement, um, but it wasn't a pass through. And so then I started trillium them, and I could not find any blood, none. <laughs> at all hmm. and so i figured well i'm gonna skip you know looking around i'm gonna to go to where i last him. went over there no blood and so i'm going back and forth and you could start getting that panicking feeling you know like yeah, uh-oh that's,
0: that's the worst what, feeling maybe
2: i did maybe i'm seeing maybe i was seeing things maybe i didn't hit them or maybe it wasn't perfect going back and forth, and I went away um, what I thought was past where I had last song, and then I started working my way back towards my cheese stand, and still didn't find nothing. Okay, well, I had to start, and the the whole time I'm going back and forth, and it's not easy on me doing all this walking, you know, with the cane out in the uh, swampy grass and all this stuff. It's, right. it's kind of tough, but I don't want to bitch too much about that. But, anyways, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I we could have it, a whole show of me bitching about my foot. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll do that one day. We'll just have
2: it. <laughs> 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 Oh, uh, my! Yeah, my wife can attest to that. Right. We'll have we'll a part it.
0: one and part two. We'll have you one, and then we'll have her talking about dealing with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might have to put two shows for her. <laughs> right? Yeah, we'll give her. The, we'll just
0: give her the microphone, and we won't even show up. We'll just let her go.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might be divorced afterwards. Right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, um, so I, I started going further than where I thought that I had seen him and. I shined the light and came across, and there he was, just piled up. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, luckily he never made his way into the corn. Um, and I just, I hadn't walked far enough to find him. And luckily I found him. Nice. So then I started trying to get him out of there. And I had taken the dough out of the exact same spot the year before. And I was able to do it, I was able to take my time and get her out by myself. Well with the buck, he was big enough or I just I couldn't do it. I sat there and sweated for I don't know how many hours trying to figure out I had a little sled that I was trying to drag him on and trying to get him to my deer cart and my truck was only probably maybe two hundred yards away. Right. But I just I couldn't get him out of that swamp and finally I called a um another cousin of ours and drug his ass out of bed at 11 at night. And luckily, yeah. and he came over and, uh, bailed me out. And once he got there, I mean, it took us five minutes to get him out, but right. I, I just could not do it by myself. Yeah. And so by the time we got him out, I was beat. I was done. Um, we got him into, uh, my, Little cage here in my suburban, and I came home, dumped, went to Walmart, grabbed, I don't know, five bags of ice, and stuffed it in his cavity. And uh, the next day, we took him to because it was pretty warm out still that time, so I didn't have nowhere to try to butcher him myself. So I took him um, down south to a butcher that I used. And <clears throat> on the way back, me and my wife stopped where I had taken the deer so I could pick up because, like I was saying before, I was tired and everything, so I left my cart and everything in the brush. I didn't try to pack it in the truck. And went back and got my cart. Went down to where I had found the deer, where I, where the gut pile was and all that. I never found a blood trail. Never. Wow. Even during the daylight. I'd, I'd he must have, when, when I heard him crash, he must have broke the arrow off um, during that time, and I I never did get to see where that was, but he went probably, oh, I don't know, maybe a total of 150 yards or so. He was, it was, like I said, a good shot. He was double long, but he still ran a long ways, um, but no blood trail, none. That's wild. If, man. If, if if I didn't find him in a pile, I I don't think I would have ever found him. Yeah, those. Uh, so I uh, my really got lucky.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, my brief experience. You mentioning that he went pretty far after a double lung. It's like I, uh, I was talking with my buddy Tate when we were out out uh, out in Ohio hunting, and we I got the buck that I got, and he ended up getting one too. And we were just kind of talking about we both put really good shots on our deer. Um, you know, both of them were complete pass-throughs. And I was like, I don't know, man, those Midwest deer are just built tougher or something, man, because that thing ran a lot further than I would have ever thought he did with a double lung, <laughs> full, you know, complete pass-through the way I got him. And my my buddy Tate's deer, too, it was the same thing, double lung, total pass-through, um, and that thing ran.
2: <laughs> yeah, the deer are tough. They, uh, there's no doubt about it. Even through the doe that I shot in California, with the 270, and I took an inch off of her heart, and she ran 100 yards at least and, before she piled up. I stub my you toe, and I
0: pile up on the floor. You know what I mean?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I <laughs> try every night about my foot. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
0: but hey, that's—I uh, mean—that's pretty cool, man. That you actually saw that deer the year before, and were able to recognize him the following or this year, and took a deer that you had some history with, because I've yet, that's one thing that I'm looking forward to trying to do that I wanted to try to do on our farm this year, but just, you know, with the hunt, you know, in Ohio just didn't allow me any time to really get back to the farm. I had some early season. I'm hoping maybe I can get it done here in late season at the farm and go after one of two deer that I have history with, um, that I have on camera again this year i've never had that though but that seems like how cool is that i mean is that i mean whenever you saw him were you kind of like i can't believe i've seen that deer before and i'm gonna have an opportunity
2: yeah yeah I, it was it was super cool really i mean it, and like i said it took me you know i could have taken him a lot quicker i could have taken them within like 30 seconds of see them and um but i sat there and watched them and stuff and like I said, I finally decided that, you know, with the amount of minerals and stuff I've been pumping out, um, and he lost mass. I mean, I figured it'd be perfect management, buck. And I kind of, you know, to be honest, have had buyer's remorse since then. I've seen some incredible bucks, you know, <laughs> since then. But I mean, I'm thankful that I got them and everything. But you know, you see these big bucks and you're thinking, why did I take them? But I'm glad I took him, um, and it is totally totally cool when you you know it's a deer that you have history with. I passed him up. he was probably about thirty yards away from me on that opening day the year before, and um, you know, to get another chance at him this year. It was awesome.
0: right, and I'm sure the bucks that you're seeing here in Iowa, you know, even the smaller bucks I would imagine you know are bigger than a lot of the deer that you saw living in California.
2: Oh, the very first encounter I had, one was crazy. I was in the blind and, um, sitting there, my cousin started texting me, um, that cousin Eric, he's in the military, so he couldn't come out hunting at the time. And, um, but he, you know, he was kind of living, living hunting through, you know, my eyes or whatever, me being in the field. So he's texting me all the time while I was hunting and, um, all of a sudden, this buck comes walking up, and I'm like, and I couldn't move because the deer was like 10 yards away from me, and but I could text my cousin. And I'm like, dude, there's a, there's a huge deer right outside the window, and he's like, well, stick him. And he goes, what is he? I'm like, well, he's an he's eight-pointer, and he's all stick him. And I'm like, I can't. I can't move, and the deer wandered off, and so I'm texting him, and all of a sudden, a couple minutes later, he's coming back, and like he's coming back, and he goes, "Wait, don't!" He's all, "Don't shoot!" And I'm like, "Wait, don't shoot! What are you talking about?" He goes, and then he's texting. He's all, "Are you sure he's that big? You know, if his antlers pass his ears, and I'm like, well, no, the antlers aren't passing his ears, but he's biggest biggest deer I ever saw." And he's all, "No, he's just a young buck. He's out. He's just messing with you. He's come back and forth probably a bunch of times this morning." And sure enough, that deer just kept coming back and come up, and he would sniff the blind and turn his head and, like, jerk around like he was, a, like, a dog trying to play sex, and it was driving me crazy. <laughs> that was my first encounter with a buck while I was hunting in Iowa. biggest deer that I ever had a chance with was, playing with me like a dog <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome man
0: i uh i'm looking forward yeah. to eventually someday getting out to uh to iowa i'm hoping here not this coming season but the season after i'm hoping will be uh the year that i draw draw my tag and uh i'll definitely have to hit you up for some for some pointers for some iowa pointers as you're continue to uh to learn the lay of the land out there and how to uh how to get after these deer but uh I think with that, man, that's. Uh, I, I want to be sensitive to your time and and and, uh, and uh, don't want to eat up too much of it. I know we took up about an hour of your of your evening here so far. So uh, I think with that, man, we can go ahead and, and uh, wrap it up, uh, Charles. But thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing uh, your stories, and I look forward to sharing some texts with you, my friend. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I think at this point we can go ahead and do the big reveal of who the Exodus lift trail camera winner is for this uh, for this giveaway. So without further ado, uh, I would do a drum roll if I had a drum, but I don't have one. But the winner of the Exodus trail camera uh, giveaway today is Chris Toshuti. So, Chris, congratulations to you for winning the Exodus Trail Camera. I'll be in touch, of course, through social media, um, and uh, we'll get all your shipping information and get that shipped out to you as soon as possible. So, congratulations, and thanks, everyone, for sharing the content, liking the... and, and liking the Facebook post and, and participating we will also be giving away another Exodus trail camera here in the not so distant future. So be sure to stay tuned in for an opportunity to win, uh, for a chance to win another Exodus trail camera. Also, of course, we want to thank Charles for joining us uh, today. loved having the conversation with Charles look forward to our uh, discussions here in the upcoming hunting seasons and uh, just good to have him as a as a friend uh, I'd be remiss as well if I didn't mention on Charles's behalf that he wanted to make sure um, before I kind of signed off that we I gave a big thank you to um, Rick Ritchie for helping him um, gather his deer after after the harvest this year so there are a few things in life uh, more more valuable than a good hunting buddy it sounds like Rick is a, a is a great hunting buddy to Charles so Rick thank you uh, on behalf of Charles for helping him uh, dig his deer out this past year. Uh, also, we'd be uh, uh, would be a big fail on our part if we didn't give a big shout out and thank you to all of our partners uh, that make this podcast possible. Of course, Exodus Trail Cameras, Whitetail Institute of North America, and the Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, and of course want to make sure to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and listening to a couple knuckleheads talk about deer hunting uh, every other week for for about a, roughly an hour and giving us a part of your day to, uh, to have that conversation. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast and the content, uh, please visit us on iTunes and share a five-star iTunes rating. We'd be very much appreciative of that. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes Stitcher, and you can, of course, catch us on Google Play as well. And until next time... We'll see y'all.